Get ready, America. This is Declaring Liberty. Hello, my friends. I am Mark Pantano, and this is Declaring Liberty, the podcast where the Constitution matters and we give absolutely no quarter to stupid people. Now, I got to tell you, I am I am just excited. I can barely contain myself. I hope I don't get ahead of myself or get too emotional today talking about this. I just, I cannot contain my elation. I am so happy, as you should be. This is a miraculous day, my friends. This I'm talking to you on the 15th of March, 2019. And it was actually yesterday that was the day of miracles. But this is the first opportunity I've had to, to speak with you since, since it happened. We are living through history. The kind of history that people talk about for millennia. The kind of history that people look back upon and wish that they were alive for the things that transpired. That is what we are now living through. Because yesterday, we were saved. A lot of people don't realize it yet. A lot of people still don't know, still don't understand what we've been given. This gift that we've been given. But they soon will. For, you see, my friends, yesterday, one of the most extraordinary human beings ever to live decided that he was going to save us from ourselves, from our ignorance, from our hate. And he was going to deliver us to a better place. He's going to save us all. And that person is Beto O'Rourke. Ass clown. Ass clown. Ass clown. So it is official. Beto O'Rourke, the phony Hispanic candidate from Texas, is going to run for president. Only in America. I still cannot believe that this guy is taken seriously. And he, is, he, he needs to be. He's a serious candidate because there are enough of these fools who are like gaga over this guy. This is just, this shows you how insane the Democrat Party has become. You know, it's not that long ago that a guy, that if a guy like this had announced for president, He'd be laughed off the stage. He, he would pretty much be ignored. He wouldn't get any media coverage because he's not serious. A three-term congressman who, have, who has accomplished absolutely nothing. His only claim to fame is losing an election. That's it. What qualifications does this guy have? He's apparently nothing but a perpetual adolescent. He had all the privileges of wealth and 
being a child of a powerful family and marrying into an even more powerful family. His his father-in-law, his wife's parents, are worth like more than a half a billion dollars. This kid from El Paso is actually not from El Paso. He grew up in Virginia at some private elite college. Then he went to Columbia, goes to El Paso, and, uh, you know, I don't know, he's drinking and driving. He's running from the police. He goes from running to the police to running for Congress to now running for president. He has absolutely no qualifications to speak of. He served on the El Paso City Council. And then he runs for Congress. He serves three terms in the Congress, six years in the Congress. The only legislation that he put forward and got passed was legislation to rename a courthouse. And that's it. Then he decides he's going to run for Senate. And now apparently, after losing, he's a rock star on the Democrat side. It's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. The guy is a walking cliche. He doesn't have a serious thing to say about anything. He does his best to avoid saying anything specific. It's nothing but vapid, glowy nonsense. And these Democrat sheep just lap it up. They just love it. Now let's take a look at why he became this star that he is. I said he's a media media creation, and that's all the guy is. Just like Alexandria Estupida Cortez. These are media creations, but O'Rourke even more so. Here is why this guy came to prominence. I mean, he was in Congress for six years. You never heard of him. I never heard of him before he decided to run for Senate against Ted Cruz. Now, here is why he became a rock star. Early in uh, 2018, the election year, there was polling that suggested that Ted Cruz was vulnerable, that he might actually be defeated by a Democrat candidate in Texas. And so this got the media and the left, of course, one in the same, got them all jazzed up. Texas, flipping Texas, winning a statewide race in Texas has been a wet dream of the left for decades. It is their fever dream. They are just chomping at the bit to win statewide in the state of Texas. And when they saw polling data that suggested Ted Cruz could be defeated and that a Democrat could win Texas in 2018, well, that was it. Whoever the Democrat nominee for the Senate against Ted Cruz eventually was going to turn out to be, the media was going to push that person and try to propel that person to victory, no matter who it was. Whether it was, you know, ass clown Beto, the phony Hispanic, or somebody else, doesn't matter. Whoever it was going to be, the media was going to promote this person as a star. So it turns out to be Beto. So ass clown wins the primary and the media gets all into gear. They weren't all behind him before he won the primary. It was only after he won the primary. He wasn't a rock star before he won the primary. It was only after he won the primary because the media was, they didn't want to, um, you know, they didn't know who it was, who it was going to be and they didn't care. 
So they were just waited it out to see who the Democrat nominee was going to be. And then, boom, it went into high gear to push this person to victory. And so it turns out to be Ass Clown. So, Ass Clown wins the primary. Media gets all behind him. And there you go. You're off and running. Uh, that, you know, and every other day there was polling from the beginning, from the very beginning of the race, there was polling that showed that Beto had a chance at defeating Cruz. Now, let's stop there for a second. Why was it that Ted Cruz was vulnerable? Why was it that uh, Ass Clown got within three percentage points of Ted Cruz in that election? Well, there are three reasons for that as I see it. One, Ted Cruz himself. He's not got the most magnetic personality in the world. So he doesn't exactly get people all jazzed up. So, you know, he's sort of a boring person as a candidate. Number two, there was a lot of lingering resentment of Ted Cruz on the right in Texas and, and elsewhere. But, you know, in Texas, since he's from Texas, there was lingering resentment from the 2016 campaign. As you'll recall, the, Demo uh, the Republican nomination fight came down basically to Trump and Cruz. And it kind of got bitter there for a while. It kind of got ugly. And uh, Cruz and, and, and Trump did not like each other there towards the end. You'll remember President Trump kept referring to him as lying Ted, said things about Ted's wife. Cruz, of course, didn't like that, shot back. And uh, it, it, it was vitriolic there at the end of that race. So much so that at the convention, when Trump was officially nominated by the Republican Party, Ted Cruz did not officially endorse him. He gave a speech, but he didn't uh, officially endorse Trump for president. And a lot of people were angry about that. And so there was, there was lingering hostility towards Cruz. And there is to this day lingering hostility by many on the right towards Ted Cruz. That's the second reason. The third reason, and this is a much more long-term important reason, which should scare the hell out of all of you, and that is the fact that Texas is has been trending left for a very long time, and it has gotten to the point where we are very close to having Texas flip and turn blue and be taken by the Democrats. We are very close, and a lot of people don't like to hear this. I don't like to say it. A lot of people don't like, you know, don't want to believe it. Well, believe it or not, it's happening. Exactly how close we are, I don't know. But we're very close. Very close. So close that I believe that we have one or two cycles more, at most, before we lose Texas to the Democrats, unless something drastic is done on immigration and chain migration and birthright citizenship and all of this, all this kind of stuff, which there's absolutely no indication whatsoever that we are going to get a handle on that anytime soon. But so I don't want to get off on that right now. I'll discuss that more as the days go by. But so those are the three reasons as I see it for why uh, ass clown O'Rourke was able to get so close to victory in Texas. 
Ted Cruz's personality, lingering resentment towards Cruz, and the fundamental demographic shift going on in the state of Texas. So that that's what's going on. And that that's what that's what was propelling that race in Texas. And that's really, you know, the, the third part of that is why we need to be concerned in 2020 and beyond. But just sticking with the ass clown O'Rourke race against Ted Cruz, those are those were the issues at play. And it is the media that saw that Cruz was vulnerable and pushed ass clown as hard as they could. They built him up, pushed him out there as a rock star. And as you know, that's all it takes to become a star to the left is media adulation. He wasn't going to become, how did he become a national figure during that campaign? It was because of the media. There were Senate races all over the country. You didn't, you, you couldn't even name most Senate candidates across the country. Why the hell would you even know about this Beto O'Rourke guy in Texas? It's because the media wanted to pump this guy up. And you have to pump him up nationally in order to uh, get all the big money donors to send money to O'Rourke. And in fact, he raised more money in that election cycle than any Senate candidate in history. And it's all because of the media coverage and just building him up, making him into a star and trying to defeat Ted Cruz and flip that seat in Texas to the Democrats. That's what it was about. If the media did not build him up very few of you would ever have learned of this guy. You wouldn't even know his name. He would have been just some other Senate candidate who lost. That's it. But it was the media that built him up. The media that got the left all jazzed for this guy. And what is it that you know about him that the Democrats lap up? Is it his positions on issues? No, it's all this superficial nonsense. Oh, he's good looking. Oh, he's Kennedy-esque. Oh, he rides a skateboard. Oh, he was in a punk band. All of that nonsense. That makes for a serious Senate candidate? And that makes for a serious presidential candidate? This is a joke. This is a joke. It would be funny... If it weren't for the fact that he could very well win the Democrat nomination. And don't fool yourself. Anyone who wins the Democrat nomination has a decent shot of winning. Anyone who wins the Democrat nomination has instant credibility. So it doesn't matter what their experience is. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. They're the Democrat nominee. The media, you'll have the entire media industrial complex behind this person. You'll have all the Democrats, all the leftists, all of Hollywood, all of that, no matter who it is. So whoever wins the nomination has a decent shot automatically just by virtue of winning the nomination. And this ass clown could actually win the nomination. Will he? I don't know. I tend to think that this guy is going to fizzle out because he's, I think he's going to wear thin on people. I don't think he's going to wear well over time. Cuz he's just so annoying. He's he doesn't say anything substantive, so it's not that which is going to persuade people. You know, 
people line up behind Bernie because of the things he says. Now, they're crazy, the things he says, but he's very specific about things that he wants to do. And he has a lot of committed, hardcore leftist socialist types who love him for that. It's not for his stunning good looks or his eloquence. It's because of the things he says. Not so for ass clown O'Rourke. He doesn't say anything substantive. He's riding all this superficial nonsense. And he's hoping that that's what's going to propel him to the nomination and ultimately to the White House. Things like his look and these, you know, these vapid media pieces like this Vanity Fair cover. Oh, I was just born to do this. So absurd. It's ridiculous. But doesn't mean the guy can't get the nomination. But I, like I said, I don't think it's going to wear well. I think even, you know, Democrats will get annoyed with his whole shtick. You know, his his breathy way of talking. Every Everything he says is like he's trying to make it sound like the most important thing that anyone has ever said. He has that little, that little emotional tinge in everything he says with the breathiness and his hand movements all the time, the gesticulations everywhere. I think people are going to get annoyed with this over time, but I don't know. You know, it remains to be seen. This might just, you know, be a little bit of uh, wishful thinking, a little bit of me projecting my own view of him onto other people. So, you know, I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. Of course, I don't see the world as these leftists see the world. So it's hard for normal people like us to, you know, get in their head and see these people, someone like Ass Clown. Uh, the way they see him. Because we don't think like that. We don't care about his looks. I don't get that, you know. Personally, I he looks like a goofy-ass bastard to me. I don't get it. He looks like Napoleon Dynamite. With those teeth, the little teeth jutting out. I, I don't get it. Well, whatever. We shall see. And we shall all wait with bated breath for the next words of breathy wisdom. To come out of the face of this hipster doofus. Oh, here's um, here's some wisdom from the uh, hipster doofus, Beto the ass clown. Uh, This was him, I I guess it's in Iowa, when he gave his little speech on the steps with his arms flailing all about. I'm not going to play all of this for you, but uh, here is a little bit of his breathy wisdom. And if you look at the climate... Which, if in this 10-year window, we do not do everything we possibly humanly can, the generations that follow us, and I mean our kids, in our kids' lifetimes, by the time Ulysses is my age, and he's 12 years old right now, we may not be able to live in some of the cities that we call home today, like El Paso, Texas. We may not be able to grow our own food and our own fiber, feed and clothe ourselves in this country. And if you think that a little more than 300,000 immigrants and asylum seekers apprehended on the southern border is a problem, and I don't necessarily think that it is. The kind of migration and refugee flows that we will see when entire bands of this world are no longer habitable will be a crisis of a different magnitude altogether. But these challenges, I am absolutely convinced, will bring out the absolute best. Oh, shut the hell up. I can't take this guy seriously. 
but apparently I'm forced to take him seriously because he could actually win the nomination. But this is the kind of idiocy that gets people jazzed up on the left. And I can tell you, if we don't take action, if we don't do everything that we can that is humanly possible, by the time little Ulysses is my age, and he's riding skateboards through the Whataburger parking lot, filming campaign ads in the back of his caravan, and getting his teeth drilled on Facebook Live. By the time he's following my footsteps and doing all that crap, El Paso's gonna have nobody living in it. Cities will be underwater. We won't be able to grow our own food. This guy is a fool. And the people take this fool. Of course, he's no different than the rest of the fools. It's not like he's saying anything much different. It's the way he says it that irritates me more than anything else. But really, they're all unhinged like this. They're all insane like this. And they're all going to be pushing each other, as I've said before, further and further to the left, trying to one-up each other on how further left they can go and the most crazy-ass things that they can say. But just take a look at this. This passes for serious debate from a presidential candidate in 12 years, it's all over. Taking the line from uh, Estupida Cortez that we only have 12 years left to save ourselves from planetary ruin. This is insane. It's insane. And this, this passes for serious talk from a presidential candidate of the United States of America. This isn't some backwater third world shithole. This is the United States. This is someone running for president, trying to scare the hell out of people for votes, telling them that most of the country is going to be uninhabitable and we're not going to have food in 12 years unless we do everything humanly possible. And what is that, ass clown? What is that? What is What does everything humanly possible mean? Well, of course, ass clown isn't going to tell you what that means. He's going to talk in these breathy generalities. He's going to look sad like he really cares. He's going to flail his arms about. And that's supposed to make you think that he's serious and he cares the way he talks to you. He's just so normal and he just cares so much. <laughs> we just got to elect him. So 12 years, that's all we got. Then we're all going to die. We're going to run out of food. There's going to be masses of people flooding over our southern border, fleeing starvation. Well, if that's the case, we should be building this wall, right? Oh, no, but that's not really a problem as you see it. Millions upon millions of refugees flooding over our southern border. That's not a problem. I don't necessarily see that as a problem. Of course not. This jackass was just interviewed not long ago saying that he would support tearing down the existing fencing in El Paso because El Paso is so safe, don't you know? Well, I wonder if that has something to do with the fencing, jackass. But no, no, we got to tear that all down. And whether he believes that or not, that we should tear down existing fencing or not, is irrelevant. Whether he, whether he actually believes this or not is irrelevant. He has to say this because the Democrat base is insane. There is nothing that any candidate, any candidate on the Democrat side can say that is so crazy that it would turn off the Democrat base. You cannot go 
too far to the left. You just can't. In fact, going far to the left is the path to victory on the Democrat side. And that's why they're going to be constantly trying to one-up each other. They are going to each be trying to think of a more crazy left-wing proposal to champion and to hopefully stand out from the rest of the crowd. And it's a large crowd. What do we got now? 552 or something like that Democrats running on that side? It's ridiculous. It's absurd. And they're all batshit crazy. And this Beto O'Rourke, you know, he's just as crazy as the rest of them, but, you know, it's his... And this is this is how they're going to distinguish themselves, too. It's not just a race to the left, which it's going to be. So you got a policy component to their strategies, and that is go as far left as I possibly can. But then they're just going to be trying to differentiate themselves based on all the superficial nonsense. You know, like race, sex, gender identity. You know, they're all going to be trying to claim that they're a victim of one thing or another. We had Tulsi Gabbard claiming that she's the victim of constant Hindu phobia. You know, all this kind of all this kind of stuff. What we're not going to get is a serious discussion of the issues, and it's completely beneath the United States of America to have presidential candidates so vapid, so devoid of substance. I mean, look at this the idiotic discussions for lack lack of a better term there are no discussions on this issue of climate change whatever the hell that means climate change let's just talk since i brought it up and since it's my show let me take a couple of minutes to just talk honestly a little bit common sense about climate change first of all the climate always changes it has always been changing Since before the planet even cooled into a solid state, the climate was changing. It has always been changing. 10,000 years ago, what the, I don't know what's going on with my computer, folks. 10,000 years ago, we had ice sheets three miles thick covering most of North America. I don't see those ice sheets anymore. What happened to them? Cars? Cow farts? Climate change. But we didn't cause that climate change. But how is that possible? How is it possible to have climate change without minivans? I don't get it. But it shows how stupid this all is. So the climate is changing. You know, they, they tell us that, oh, the, uh, the earth is uh, half a degree warmer than it was 150 years ago. That's evidence of climate change and an impending disaster. Well, it may be evidence that the climate is changing, but I would expect there to be evidence that the climate is changing because there has been no point in the entire history of the planet when the climate was static. It has always been changing. So that's no argument in favor of destroying our economy with all this Green New Deal garbage to point the, to point out the fact that the climate is changing. So what? So what? We are still coming out of the last ice age. That's what's going on. The world is warming. It's been warming for the last 10,000 years. But no, we've got to to completely re-engineer our economy. And who gets hurt by all this the most? Of course, poor people. Poor people always get hurt the most by whatever the Democrats 
propose. And of course, but they do everything for the poor people for incoming inequality and racial inequality, all the different kinds of inequality. All the people they say that they're going to help with all their ridiculous policy proposals are the people most hurt by their ridiculous policy proposals. But you can't have an, an honest conversation about things like this, like climate change. So climate's changing, always been changing. Now, the only relevant question is whether or not human activity is a contributing factor. Now, it could not possibly be the only factor. The climate would be changing whether there are humans or not. If we could just snap our fingers and we were all instantaneously taken off this planet and there were no human beings left here, the climate would still be changing. And it would still change throughout the rest of the history of the planet, regardless of whether humans are here or not. The climate will change. So the only question is, whether or not human activity is a contributing factor to climate change. That's the whole question. And we have, yeah, truthfully, are we? Yeah, we probably are a contributing factor. I believe that we are. Look, we're changing the composition of the atmosphere. Our activity, our industrial activity and other things are changing the chemical composition of the atmosphere. This is true. We're adding CO2 to the atmosphere. But our contribution of CO2 to the atmosphere is changing the overall percentage of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere only a tiny, tiny, insignificant amount. You know what else is adding tons and tons and tons of carbon dioxide to the atmosphere? Animals, when they breathe, yeah. Volcanoes. That's an enormous contributing factor to additional CO2 in the atmosphere. Volcanoes. Every time a volcano belches somewhere, it adds more carbon dioxide and other gases to the atmosphere than all human activity on Earth for some extended period of time. Our contribution is very minimal. Okay, And how much does our contribution contribute to the rate of climate change? We have no freaking clue. That's the truth. Nobody can tell us that. If these scientists, these, you know, 98% of scientists, which is a bullshit figure, and a lot of these so-called scientists who sign on to these letters all the time, most of them aren't even scientists. They just have advanced degrees. So they might have a PhD in English lit signs onto it because, you know, they got PhD after their name. So that automatically makes them an, an expert in climate science. But so you have this propaganda crap that 98% of scientists agree to pay the, the... It's BS. They have no idea. If they did know, then they could predict things with accuracy. And as we know, they can never predict anything with accuracy. All right? If they knew that the addition of so much carbon dioxide to the atmosphere would cause an expected increase in the global average temperature, then they could predict these things. We should have a chart of their predictions. They should be able to tell us if we add this much, then the temperature, the average temperature of the earth will increase this much. And then when we get to some period of time where we have added that much, we should be able to look and see if their predicted temperature matches up with their prediction. Why don't we have a table of this? Why hasn't some scientist put together a frickin' table? 
That way we could test their theories. That way we can know if they're accurate or they're just full of shit. But we never get anything like that because they're full of shit. They have no idea. This is all computer-generated nonsense. They put in assumed information into a computer program that is running assumed calculations and they play with that until they get the answer that they want. That's all this is. This climate science isn't really based on science. It's complete it's it's uh, based on computer modeling and assumptions up and down the line. That's it. And the only way as a professor or some research scientist is going to get the grant money that keeps them living in the lap of luxury is to predict doom and gloom. So all these left-wing bodies, all these left-wing governments, including our own government, continue to pump out grant money to these people. Some guy who says, hey, I've done a lot of research on this and I don't think it's a problem. Oh, good, then we don't, we don't need to give you uh, grant money then, do we? If there's no problem, we don't need you to study it. Oh no, we're not supposed to. We're not supposed to point that obvious thing out, are we? We're not supposed to point out the uh, profit motive of these left-wing researchers. If they don't predict doom and gloom, they get no money. The only way to keep the money coming is to predict doom and gloom. And of course, they keep doing that. They keep getting the money, and then the science, quote unquote, that they keep giving us is nothing but assumptions and computer modeling, and they never give us anything that we can test over time. Nothing. So it's all bullshit. And we are supposed to completely destroy our economy. We're supposed to retrofit every single building in the United States to run on solar panels and propellers on the roof. Is that what we're supposed to do? It's ridiculous. It's absurd that these people aren't laughed out of polite society is unbelievable. That anyone takes these people seriously is a joke. It's a national embarrassment that we have half our country who's going to vote for someone like this douchebag O'Rourke saying idiotic nonsense like this. And this guy's a rock star coming up there and breathlessly telling us how we've got 10 years, 12 years to live before little Ulysses, <laughs> he's not going to have any food. This is a joke. Unfortunately... It's a joke that might actually get elected. And it doesn't matter if it's Ass Clown O'Rourke or Kamala or whoever. They're all nuts like this. And it's we should all be scared to death that one of these people ever gets elected. Speaking of gunfire, I was on Twitter this morning and um, a particularly stupid tweet popped up and caught my eye. Uh, this one was from really one of the dumbest of the announced candidates for president, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand. I'm surprised that this woman can even stand upright. I wouldn't think that she had the brain function necessary to maintain balance. Uh, but be that as it may, here is what Kirsten Gillibrand posted to Twitter. Uh, it's about abortion, of course, uh, and she was getting all preachy about killing babies, and here's what she, she wrote on Twitter today. It's not a right if you can't exercise it. 
Access to reproductive health care shouldn't depend on your income, zip code, insurance plan, or anything else. It's time to end the Hyde Amendment and make safe, legal abortion available to any woman who needs it. Now, I don't want to get into the abortion thing right now, but this leads into uh, another topic, and that is the issue of rights. It's not a right if you can't exercise it. So here is Gillibrand telling us that uh, abortion is a right, a constitutional right. And, um, of course, it's only recognized as a right because the Supreme Court bastardized the Constitution, ignored the Constitution, and just made it the hell up. There is no such right. I discussed this on the last episode of the podcast. Uh, it was just completely made up of, out of whole cloth. Maybe one day we'll do an episode on Roe versus Wade and the cases like Griswold versus Connecticut that led, that paved the way to uh, Roe versus Wade and the ridiculous legal reasoning that got us here. It's just absurd. But it's recognized by our Supreme Court as a constitutional right. And so Gillibrand's uh, argument here is that because it's a constitutional right, the government must fund you to exercise it, must give you money to help you exercise that right. Well, if that's the case, then uh, I expect the government to pay for my guns. How about that? Because as I read the Constitution, the Second Amendment gives me the right to keep and bear arms. Now, how the hell am I going to keep and bear arms, my constitutional right, if I can't afford it based on my income or my zip code or my insurance plan? Hey, man, it's a constitutional right. If I can't afford it, you know, guns are expensive. That ain't cheap. Okay, now, if I can't afford to buy that new AR that I want, then I think the government should be paying this for me. After all, it's a constitutional right. And it's not a right if you can't exercise it. Right, Kirsten? And it seems to me the Second Amendment is pretty clear that it's a right. And the right you're talking about, the right to abortion, is nebulous at best. It doesn't say abortion anywhere in the Constitution. It doesn't allude to abortion anywhere in the Constitution. You gotta play mental gymnastics. Ignore this, make this up, read this into it, doesn't exist. You gotta go through all kinds of mental gymnastics to get to finding a right to abortion in the Constitution. Now, if you can go through all of that, come up with a right to abortion in the Constitution, and then demand that the government pay for you to exercise that right, well, then something as clearly worded as the Second Amendment's right to keep and bear arms, something that clear should certainly warrant government funding. Don't you think, Kirsten Gillibrand? And not only that, I think the government should pay for my gun range fees. Because after all, you know what? I'm not keeping and bearing arms for no reason, okay? I've got to be properly prepared to use my firearm, right? So that means i got to practice. And so you need to be paying my gun fees, my gun range fees. And not only that, 
you need to be purchasing my ammunition because that isn't cheap either. And if I'm going to be shooting the number of rounds I need to to keep my skill up, then I'm going to be going through a lot of rounds of ammunition and you should be paying for it. You don't want a bunch of untrained, unpracticed uh, people out there carrying weapons, do you? <laughs> of course not. So I expect you to buy my gun, pay for my range fees, pay for my, you know, the, the if I've got to take some sort of course to keep up my concealed carry permit in my state, then you should pay for that and you should pay for my ammunition. You should also pay for my insurance. You know, because it's a good idea to have insurance in case you have to use your firearm for self-defense. You know, you're going to be charged probably with manslaughter or worse. Even if you're completely in the right, you're going to have to defend yourself. And so it's good to have insurance. I think you ought to pay for my insurance too. Hell, the federal government pays for health insurance for people and health insurance isn't a constitutional right. All right, well, of course they say it is, but it's not. You pay for health insurance, certainly you should pay for my insurance that I use as a consequence of exercising my constitutional right to keep and bear arms. So I think Kirsten Gillibrand starts an important conversation here about constitutional rights and the exercise thereof. If the federal government's going to get involved in paying for people to exercise their constitutional rights, then they should pay for us to exercise our constitutional rights. Seems to me we have other constitutional rights too. We have a First Amendment. I think that, uh, you know, she should pay for me to help exercise my First Amendment rights. You know, you want a, you want a website? You want a blog? You want your own domain? You want your own URL? That costs money. I think the federal government should pay you to purchase you, your URL and your hosting fees so that you could put up a blog. You know, the First Amendment, you're the press, people. You have a right to publish under the First Amendment. The press, the right to freedom of the press, doesn't just cover big conglomerate corporations that own these media outlets like NBC, owned by Comcast, Washington Post, owned by the richest man in the world, and all these other mega corporations. No, 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 no. First Amendment applies to anyone. If you're just a, you know, back in the day when the Constitution was written, they didn't have major companies in running these newspapers and things. We had pamphleteers. We had people writing stuff and handing them out. Okay, that's modern day bloggers. First Amendment, freedom of the press applies to you, my friends. So, hey, I'm doing a podcast right, right now. That's, I'm exercising my freedom of the press. So I think Kirsten Gillibrand should pay for all my equipment here that I need to run the podcast. And truth be told, I need to upgrade the hell out of this equipment. And that isn't cheap. So I think she should pay for it. I think the government should pay for it. That means I think that the federal government should force other people to turn over their money so that they could give it to me to buy equipment for my podcast. What do you think? Or maybe that's not a good idea at all. Maybe, just maybe, the government should get the hell out of all of this stuff. Constitutional rights doesn't mean the go we have a right to have the government fund our exercise of our constitutional rights. Not that for another day. I just wanted to point that out. Now, I want to 
discuss one final thing in today's episode. We're going to get a little more serious here. I am fed up, as all of you are, I'm sure, of these worthless Republicans in the Congress. As you know, the Senate, including a bunch of Republicans, voted against Trump's emergency declaration. So let's talk about that a little bit. These damn rhinos pretending to be standing on principle, pretending to be constitutionalists, vote against this, right? It has nothing to do with the Constitution. If, if they are really standing on the Constitution as the basis for their vote against this, um, then they're idiots who don't know what the hell they're talking about. Now, that very well may be the case, but I think it's just a, a way for them to backstab the president and the country. You know, and, and let me clarify that. Opposing the president doesn't mean you're backstabbing the country. You can oppose the president. I've opposed the president on things. When I say backstabbing the country, I mean because of this particular issue. Voting not to secure the border is backstabbing the country. A country that's under siege. We are basically being invaded. And these people are going to stand on some phony fidelity to the Constitution as the basis for them voting against this national emergency declaration. That's backstabbing not just the president, but the country. Because the country needs this. The country needs to put an end to this. And the Constitution is just an excuse because this does not violate the Constitution. What these people, including Rand Paul, Mitt Romney, Mike Lee, I can't believe Mike Lee, this guy is becoming an embarrassment. You know... He is the equivalent of an Anthony Kennedy on the Supreme Court. He gets elected as a conservative, a constitutionalist, and he has been steadily moving to the left. Now he's teaming up with some other senator to propose all this paid family leave nonsense. Nothing in the Constitution permits that, but he's got no problem violating the Constitution violating Article 1, because there's nothing in Article 1 which lays out the authorities of Congress that gives Congress the authority to pass something like paid family leave. And don't give me the Commerce Clause, because that's bullshit. The only way we're able to do that under the Commerce Clause is because the Supreme Court has once again bastardized the Constitution in that area of law. And so, don't tell me that you're a strict constructionist when you violate the Constitution, far exceeding the authority laid out for the Congress in the Constitution, and passing things like that. Paid family leave. Forcing some Americans to pay taxes to give other Americans money for not working. That's what it is. And nothing in the Constitution supports that. Now, what did you have to say about DACA? All of you people standing on principle. And so let's let's talk about the National Emergency Declaration versus what President Obama did with DACA. Because there is a world of constitutional difference. What these senators are saying, what these Republicans are saying, 
who voted against this, is that the president is acting like a dictator. He doesn't have the authority to spend money that hasn't been specifically appropriated by Congress. He, he can't do that. Well, that's not what he's doing. If he was spending money that was not appropriated by Congress to be spent, then I would agree with you. A president has no such authority. In fact, I would argue that that's, a, that's a, an impeachable offense. But that's not what the president is doing here. He is acting pursuant to a statute that Congress passed. In fact, let me read something that Rand Paul uh, wrote. Let me see if I could pull it up here. It was a tweet that I came across this morning that I think he posted yesterday. Let me scroll, scroll, scroll. Oh, where the hell is it? Okay, Rand Paul. Here's what he wrote yesterday. I stand with President Trump on the need for a border wall and stronger border security, but the Constitution clearly states that money cannot be spent unless Congress has passed a law to do so. Uh, hey, jackass, Congress did pass a law to do so. It's called the National Emergencies Act. You might not like it, but that's irrelevant. It is a law passed by Congress in 1976. It's been on the books for a hell of a long time. It's been exercised. It's been invoked by many presidents many times. So it is a lie. And he knows this. They all know this. It is a lie to say that the president is doing this without any congressional authority. That's a damn lie. Now, you don't like this law. That's fine. That's a perfectly valid point. I don't like this law. This law empowers the president to do a lot of things that really are dictatorial, none of which the president is attempting to do with this emergency declaration. But this gives the president authority to seize businesses, make uh, make factories, produce whatever the administration says they must produce, seize private property, all this kind of stuff. Dictatorial. That's not what the president is doing. The president is simply invoking this statute in order to move around funds that have already been appropriated. And the statute specifically permits the president to do that. So he's not doing anything on his own. He's not usurping Congress's authority. That is patently ridiculous. He is exercising authority that the Congress gave him by statute. Now, let us contrast that to what President Barack Obama did with DACA. Now, if you want to talk about the acts of a dictator, if you want to talk about a dictatorial action with no basis in statutory authorization, then let's talk about DACA. Because that's what it is. It's dictatorial, it has no basis in statutory authorization, and it's completely unconstitutional. I don't hear Senator Rand Paul going on and on about how that program needs to be shut down. I didn't hear him saying much at the time, if anything, when the Obama administration was enacting this. What is DACA? DACA is a program that Barack Obama wrote passed into law for all intents and purposes and started implementing and spending money on 
all on his own, completely without Congress. Congress did not write this law, pass this law, authorize money for this law to be implemented. But make no mistake, this is a law passed by the president, completely unconstitutional. President has no authority to write law. President may enforce law. That's it. The president may issue executive orders to his departments and agencies to instruct them on how to enforce laws, but cannot use executive orders to make up laws. That is unconstitutional, yet that is what Obama did. But Mark, but Mark, all DACA is is deciding uh, not to prosecute people. No, that's what they say it is, but that's not what it is. DACA, Deferred Action on Childhood Arrivals. That's that's the stupid acronym. Deferred Action on Childhood Arrivals. So basically what the Obama administration was saying was, well, yeah, these kids are illegal aliens and under our law they're supposed to be deported. But as, you know, uh, as the executive, I am going to exercise my discretion and not prosecute these people. This is prosecutorial discretion, and I'm simply just not going to enforce the law against these people. Yes, the president has an authority, you know, to an extent, to exercise discretion in the enforcement of law, simply on the basis of uh, manpower and money and time. We can't fully go after everybody on everything. We have to make decisions. We have to prioritize. There's not enough money. There's not enough personnel to do every single thing. So there is an, an authority to an extent giving the president discretion over the implement, the enforcement of these laws. Okay, But that's not what he was doing. If that's what he was doing, then that would be the end of it. Well, I'm just not going to deport this person. But that's not all he was doing. On top of that, he set up a program. He gave out permits. He gave out legal status. Well, that's not a question of prosecutorial discretion. That's writing a new law. That is giving people certain benefits under our law certain legal status that the Congress never authorized. That's making up laws. President has no authority under Article 2 of the Constitution to do that. Yet that's what he did. And not only that, he expended money on that program. He spent money to implement that program. Does it not cost money to have personnel implement that program? Does it not cost money to print up all these little cards and have these these programs in place? Of course it does. That costs a lot of money. Was that money ever appropriated by Congress? Hell no, that wasn't appropriated by Congress. So here little old Barack Obama making up laws and spending money from the Treasury that was never appropriated by Congress to enforce and implement his unconstitutional law. And yet Rand Paul is going to accuse President Trump of violating the Constitution, stating that he's spending money that Congress never appropriated. Well, that's a damnable lie. National Securities Act, that's a statute. It says the president can do exactly what the president is doing. So how is that in any way 
comparable to what Barack Obama did. What Barack Obama did was unconstitutional, and you people had nothing to say about it. But here, the president is trying to fulfill his number one campaign promise by invoking a statute that Congress passed, and you people are hiding behind the Constitution, lying about the Constitution, lying about what the president is doing in order to screw us all. And let's be honest about what this is about. You don't want to secure the border. You don't want to stop doing the Chamber of Commerce's bidding. That's the reason we don't have a border. That is why we don't have a wall, I should say. That's why we passed the Secure Fence Act in 2006 and it was never built. We passed that act just to calm down all the rubes. Just to pretend for our benefit that you were actually going to take the border security seriously. You had no intention of doing it. That's why you didn't fund it. That's why you didn't build any fencing. Has nothing to do with the Constitution. It has to do with continuing the supply of cheap, unskilled labor from the third world flowing into these mega corporations that send you campaign money. That's what it's about. These big corporations and their addiction to cheap labor is what funds the establishment in Washington. And it is they who oppose any attempt to secure our borders. If it weren't the case, then the border would be secure. Because they all know that it's a problem. They know that it's a threat to the future of the country. But they don't give a shit. Not nearly as much as they care about their continued political viability. Not nearly, they don't care nearly as much as they do about getting those fat checks from donors who want cheap labor. That's what they care about most. Even if they think that ultimately this is going to be our downfall, they don't believe that it's going to happen soon enough to affect them. And that's all they care about. By the time this country collapses from what they're doing, from these open borders, from millions upon millions of unskilled, dirt poor, unassimilated migrants and criminals from the third world who know nothing of freedom, who care nothing about our constitution, who care only about the cheap jobs and the freebies that our society offers. By the time our country collapses from all this madness, these establishment politicians from both parties figure they're going to be long gone. They'll at least be long gone from the Congress, living on their fat pensions somewhere, in their gated communities, unaffected by the collapse that they caused. And so all they care about is their immediate political fortunes. And that's what was behind this vote against Trump's national emergency declaration. It had nothing to do with standing on principle. Because the Constitution did not compel that vote. Politics compelled that vote. Self-interest and greed and a complete disregard for the future of the country compelled that vote. So Rand Paul, Mitt Romney, Mike Lee... 
Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, Lamar Alexander, and the rest of them. You can all go straight to hell as far as I'm concerned. Because that's where you're sending this country to. You want to you wanna check back with us in 30 years? See what the country looks like then? What do you think the country's going to look like when we, uh, what, we're probably got two to five million new people, at least bare minimum, illegal aliens coming into this country every year? 30 years? We're going to have more than another, you know, 50 million people in this country illegally. Add that to the 20 to 30 million who are already here illegally. We're done as a country at that point. Done. And you don't care. Your voters care. But you don't care. Because you're going to have your fat pensions. To hell with all of these people. You need to get serious, friends, about who these people are and the threat that they are. You need to stop voting for these people. You need to pick the most conservative hellfire conservative, rabid conservative conservative you can find in the primary. Get behind them, give them money, work for them, and get them elected. Don't buy into this bullshit establishment Republican line. Well, they're too extreme. You can't, you can't go with an extreme right winger. You gotta pick a moderate. Only a moderate can win. So that's how these moderates keep getting elected over and over and over because Republican primary voters buy into that propaganda being pushed by the moderate establishment, the worthless establishment. Oh, you can't vote for a real conservative because they're extreme. Ew, they're icky. Got to vote for us establishment types. Well, this is what you get when you vote for the establishment types. Nothing different. That's what you get. It is, in many respects, a uniparty. There are very few things that actually differentiate the parties in Washington when it comes to actual votes and actual actions. Now, they may talk a good game to get elected, but they don't carry any of that out. In practice, there is very little difference between Democrats and Republicans in Washington. The only real thing that's been different And it's important, make no mistake, has been the courts in the last couple of years. At least these establishment types have held firm on Trump's court nominees. And that is a major difference. But we've got to do a lot better than these establishment rhinos that we're we're electing. Because in the end, getting it right on the courts isn't going to matter when we are overwhelmed by illegal immigration. Because all of these illegal aliens are going to be dropping kids who are going to be American citizens because of our ridiculous birthright citizenship policies, which are completely not required by the Constitution. That's another lie. But this birthright citizenship, coupled with the open borders and the millions upon millions upon millions of illegal aliens flooding in here who are encouraged to get on welfare and start having kids. Now suddenly, they got all these these kids are American citizens. 
American citizens growing up in balkanized areas, balkanized communities of illegal aliens who don't even care about learning English or assimilating, why should they? You go to some of these places, you don't see the American flag. You see the Mexican flag. You see the Colombian flag. These aren't pockets of Americanism. These are pockets of otherism. I don't, you know, I don't know what you're going to call it. But it's other. It's not American. And a lot of these people are American citizens now. And they're living in these balkanized communities where they don't even have to speak English and they're waving waving around the flags of other countries. Taking pride in being of that other country, not of being American. And who the hell do you think these people who are now American citizens are going to vote for? Why do you think Texas is turning blue? This is what I opened the show with. When we talked about uh, ass clown O'Rourke and why he came within 2.6% of the vote in Texas against Cruz. This is why unfettered immigration is the primary reason. There's other reasons, but that's the primary reason. And that's not stopping. That's It's full steam ahead, baby. So keep this all in mind when you hear these phony constitutionalists up there pretending that they were taking a principled stand in defense of the Constitution. It's not true. It's a lie. And it's a lie that will ultimately end if we don't get this border wall built in the ultimate collapse of the country. And let me tell you something else. It's not just the border wall. If we don't reform our immigration laws, then it doesn't matter whether the border gets built or not because we're letting everybody in legally. And that's an outrage. Anybody that shows up, claims asylum, we let them in. And then we take forever to process their asylum requests. But once we let them in, they're scot-free to go wherever in the country they want. And they're given a court date, and then they never show up. And of course, we don't look at look for them and deport them because we don't deport anyone anymore. Okay, even under Trump, we're not deporting hardly anyone. Catching a release, still doing it. Asylum requests through the roof. They just sh- so even if there's a border, even if there's a border wall, all you got to do is show up at the wall and say I'm requesting asylum and you get in. And whether you technically meet the requirements for asylum under our current laws, which are ridiculous, but whether or not you even meet the asylum requirements doesn't matter. We let you go. We give you a court date. You don't show up and we wish you well because we're not looking for you. You're fine. And if we ever do catch you, uh, we're not going to do anything. Because by then, you will have had kids. You have ties to the community. And we're not going to deport you. Besides, your kids are an American citizen now. Because even though you were technically illegally here, your kid is now an American citizen. And we're not going to deport mama and dada if uh, they got kids who are an American citizen. No, 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 no. What we're going to do is give you more welfare benefits. That's what we're going to do. We're going to pay for your health care, you know, pay for, give you a monthly stipend, give you food stamps, put you up in nice government housing. We can give you all that stuff. Of course. But the point is, if we don't reform our ludicrous immigration laws, 
are ludicrous asylum laws and the absolute insanity that is birthright citizenship. If we don't reverse all of that nonsense, then it doesn't matter even if we build the wall. But the wall is just step one. And if we can't even accomplish step one because all these phony constitutionalist Republicans are voting against the perfectly constitutional and perfectly legal emergency declaration by the president acting pursuant to a statute passed by Congress, then we're never going to get to the other stuff. And we are just going to we're just going to be full speed ahead towards collapse. And let me tell you how we'll get there. We're going to lose Texas. We're going to lose Arizona. We're going to lose Georgia. We're going to lose North Carolina. We're going to lose Florida. Once we do, once Democrats start winning those states at the presidential level, Republicans will never win the White House again. Democrats will have a perpetual lock. They will institute all manner of socialist programs. The Supreme Court will rubber stamp all of it. Even now, if you know whatever socialist programs come out of Congress, this Supreme Court will rubber stamp. Just based on case law, just, just based on current precedent, because the Constitution has been so thoroughly bastardized, all of that stuff will, will be upheld by the court. And uh, within a very short period of time, the court will be completely controlled by the left. All it will take is a few presidential cycles um, until we have enough Republican appointees retire from the court. Democrats will have a permanent lock on the Supreme Court. And then you can start waving bye-bye to all, all your constitutional rights. You won't have a Second Amendment. The First Amendment won't mean what it says anymore. Uh, forget your freedom of religion. All of that. It's gone. Fourth Amendment. You think you have a right to privacy? You think the... Forget about it. The deep state is going to be fully empowered. None of us are going to be safe. Phone records, banking records. <laughs> we don't need no stinking warrant. Forget about it. Your constitutional rights are gone. There might not, there, you know, there, there might as well not even be a constitution anymore at that point because it won't mean what it says. It'll mean whatever the leftists on the pre Supreme Court say it means. And uh, well, the truth is, by the time they are done repealing all of our constitutional rights, the economy probably would have long since collapsed, and we will be well on our way towards third world status. So that's the future we have to look forward to. And I know it sounds pessimistic and doom and gloom, but I got to tell you, friends, the future is very pessimistic and dark and full of doom and gloom if we, can, uh, we continue to go on the path we have been on. And I'm sorry to say we are going further along this path than at any time in my lifetime, despite having Trump in the Oval Office. This stuff is going on. Immigration, illegal immigration, is through the roof. It is at levels not seen in decades. Beyond the levels of the Obama administration. So, if we can't even get Republicans to back the president in attempting to get a control on our border by building a very reasonable wall, 
which countries all over the globe do, which we even pay our taxpayer money to help these countries pay for, if we can't even build one on our own southern border to stem the invasion, then I'm sorry, but the future is doom and gloom. It's a very dark and bleak future. And we'll remember people like Rand Paul and Mitt Romney and the rest of them for standing on their principle, standing up for the Constitution. Well, what they're doing is going to erode the Constitution they're pretending to support. Because if you don't get control of the borders, the Supreme Court is going to be controlled by the left, and then at that point, you might as well not even have a Constitution. For So, you know, way to go, Senators. Standing up for the Constitution while you're helping destroy the Constitution. I'm just disgusted with the whole thing and every damn one of them. Now, I'm at the end of today's podcast, just about. I am going to continue today's podcast over on Patreon. I want to talk a little bit about this uh, higher ed admissions scandal. And I want to use it to talk about something else related to higher education. You know, uh, you know my views on higher education. I think it is one of the factors, one of the great contributors to the downfall of this country in real time. We're watching in real time this country being ripped at the seams. And I put a lot of the blame on our colleges and universities. And not only is it destroy, are they helping to destroy this country uh, in general terms, but they are destroying lives, individual lives in real terms. So I want to get into some of that. So you want to hear that and whatever else, you know me, I go off on tangents. So I'll start on one thing. Who knows where we'll end up. And uh, you want to listen to that? And I know you do. Go over to Patreon. You don't want to miss any of this. This is sheer brilliance. And where else are you going to get it? So go over to patreon.com slash Mark Pantano for just five bucks a month. You can help support the show. This I'm entirely self-funded on this thing. And I rely on my listeners to help fund this thing. So if you enjoy it, please be a part of it. Just $5 a month and you can help keep this afloat, keep it going. And you'll get access to additional podcasts and other stuff that you're not going to get anywhere else. So go over to Patreon for that. And please help me spread the word about this podcast. Go over to Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to this thing, and leave a positive review. Tell your friends and family about it. Help promote it on social media. I would appreciate that. And you have no idea how much it means to me when you all do help spread the word. So thanks again for listening. Keep fighting the left, friends. Keep fighting the left like your freedom depends on it. Because it does.